yesterday was seemed like the worst day I've had in just a long, long time. It started off kind of bad, and uh, you know the devil kind of challenged me and stuff like that, and then ended up taking my mom to the hospital last night. Uh, she's just a little dehydrated. I know y'all prayed for her last night. I really appreciate that, um, and I think she's going to be fine. She's just 90 years old, and we're all having to learn how to deal with an old person, I guess, or something like that. Uh, we've never done that before. You know, there are a couple of things that Jesus taught the disciples that I think are the, the culture that they had amongst themselves. One was that they radically followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, they just, Jesus, I'm sure they thought he was out of his mind a few times. You know, they saw him walk on water. Or they saw him, you know, a situation that we would probably all run from. Jesus just walked right over and brought healing and life to a demoniac, you know, or something like that. And we'd all be, you know, I'm not sure what we would do, confronted with the same situation. And I know there were times the Bible even says they were just shocked, you know, in awe of what happened uh, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain and all these things. But it was a culture that I think that Jesus imparted to them was to radically follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because I know after Jesus was gone, the disciples, they did radical things, didn't they? You know, they, they did amazing things. And the book of Acts is just filled with, with just astounding miracles that God did in and through them. And something else that Jesus was able to, to confer to them was that they were, their focus in life was not on themselves. They didn't live for themselves. They lived for, you know, it's like the great commandment. They lived for Jesus and for others. But, you know, that same culture, and this is just a freebie because this is not really what I'm preaching on tonight, but just a minute ago I felt like the Lord said, just say this, throw a seed out there of something. The same culture that Jesus established in the disciples is the same culture that we want to establish in our church is a radical obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we'll be sitting in the midst of worship like that, and the Holy Spirit will say to us, hey, go, go pray for that person over there. And we'll sit there kind of frozen in our fear or intimidation, won't we? You ever felt that? But the disciples, they, if they believed it was the Holy Spirit, they were like David dancing before. They just went crazy with it. They just went unabashed, unashamed, 110%. They went for it. And the other thing that I believe that the, the Holy Spirit is imparting through Pastor Bruce is a culture here where we're not focused on ourselves. You know, some people come to church for what they're going to get out of it. Other people come for what they can do and how God can use them to bless someone else. But, you know, when was the Christian life ever supposed to be about us? Isn't it about Jesus and others? You know, the, think of the two greatest commandments. Exactly. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Can you imagine what you could do with a group of people who are willing to radically follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and were not concerned and focused on themselves, but how they could serve and how they could do? And how they, don't you remember the Bible says, give and you will receive? You know, if your focus is on others, his focus will be on you. Amen? God is good, isn't he? I'm happy for a new day today. I woke up this morning, I thought after yesterday, I thought, God, I'm thankful for a new day. <laughs> I'm thankful for a new, a fresh start. Start this thing over again. And I don't want the residue of yesterday to be on today. Amen. Well, I'm so thankful to Pastor Bruce for giving me the opportunity to come and share tonight. And so blessed that you're here. And I will pray the, the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and sow a seed into us. It'll produce kingdom fruit tonight. Amen. If I started a statement, I was laughing at myself. 
on my way over here, I had I had just kind of transitioned quickly from the hospital where my mother was back to home to grab a shower and whatnot, and then to come on over here. And I realized when I was about halfway here on my 30-minute drive that my Bible was sitting on my desk at home. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've gone to church. But I do have my Bible on my phone. But if it wasn't for that, I would have, can you imagine, sharing the message tonight and coming to church without my Bible? <laughs> that would have been a first for sure. I'm thankful I have my Bible on my phone, and if that I would have had to had to borrow some ones, but I think everyone, I don't, I guess I see a few real Bibles, not just phone Bibles. If I was to say the phrase, God makes all things blank, how would you fill in the blank? God makes all things new. Anybody think of anything else? Did you say something? Possible. God makes all things possible. Anything else that could go in that blank? God makes all things, God makes all things everything. Anything else that comes to mind? There's no right answers or wrong answers. Because God can do everything. God makes all things, all things good, doesn't he? God makes all things new is what came to my mind. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. Will someone turn into your real Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and read verse, maybe stand up and read verse 17 to us. It might take just a minute to turn over there. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If someone would find their way over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. There we go. John's got it right back there. Go ahead, John. Thank you. Verse 5.17. Amen. Can you say amen to that? If anyone's in Christ, all things are made new. Why is it that God makes things new? Ever thought about that? Why is it that God makes things new? Now, this is not, this is not me asking a question, and you're not supposed to answer. This is me asking a question, and you're supposed to answer. All right? Somebody give me an idea. What do you think? Why do you think God makes things new? Why does he do that? We mess things up. We need to start over. That's certainly, certainly the way I feel sometimes. Anybody else got any other thoughts? Why does God make things new? Oh, man. He is creative, isn't he? Let me tell you what I think. I think God makes things new because, and I didn't really think of it in these terms until I started meditating on this message. I think God makes things new because that's the way he rolls. I think that's just his character. Just like God is our provider. You know, God is our peace. God makes things new. You think about how Jesus came to represent God on the earth. There were times that he just touched someone, and all of a sudden they became new, and they were healed. Isn't that right? I mean, just his touch, and all of a sudden, boom, they become new. Because that's the way God is. He makes things new because that's part of his character. You know what the kingdom of God is? Absolutely. If I was to define the kingdom of God rather than describe the kingdom of God, I would say the kingdom of God is the realm where everything is going just like God wants it to go. 
where he is king. He is the king of the kingdom. And everything goes according to his plan, just like in heaven. And Jesus prayed, let heaven come on earth. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I know there are things, there are old things that God honors. <laughs> you know, God doesn't just throw away old stuff. But there's a whole lot in the Bible about new. They're taking an old wineskin and rubbing oil on it and all these things so that it can hold new wine. There's something about the kingdom of God that's new. And the Bible says in Christ, as John just read a minute ago, the old is gone and the new has come. Boy, I need that in my life. I need that in my life. I need a new day sometimes. I need a new season. I need a new beginning. I need sometimes it's an attitude in my mind. I need a new attitude, you know. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a pain and I need a, I, need, I need a new healing. I need a new arm. I need a new muscle. I need something new. I need a fresh touch. God makes all things new. Anybody else have anything that you need to be made new? Anybody have anything in your life you'd like to be made new tonight? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a situation. You'd like that situation to have the touch of the kingdom on it and be made new. Maybe it's a financial matter. You'd like those finances. You'd like to, to be made new, the touch of heaven to come on those. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a sickness. I believe also there's going to be healing tonight. Because I believe God wants to demonstrate who He is here in this place by making our bodies new. I believe a price was paid so that we could have a new body. Amen. When the Bible says that Jesus, by His stripes, provides healing for us. That's new. Amen? I think all of us could say, yes, Pastor Larry, I've got something in my life I'd like to be made new. And if you can't think of anything, I pray the Holy Spirit will quicken your heart to know something tonight that you can believe for that God could touch some area. Maybe it's a person in your life that doesn't know Jesus and you want their heart to be made new again. Something that we could believe for tonight, for God to touch in your life and in mine. Oftentimes we want something new. We want to start a new season, but we don't quite know how. We believe, Lord, I want to start a new season. You know, January 1st is coming up very quickly. And oftentimes we start the new year and we want, to, we want to be different. We want to, you know, I guess the classic thing is I'm going to go on a diet and start working out. You know, the new year's here. And I guess a lot of people buy exercise equipment. And by, you know, March or April, there's a whole lot of exercise equipment for sale. Because we've, we've, we've quit our, our new, resol new year's resolutions already. But I believe a new season is coming. And I don't believe it's just because the year's changing. Sometimes I think that sets our minds on a new season a little bit differently. But I really do believe there's a new season here. It's coming. I believe there's a new opportunity for every one of us who's here tonight. A new season. And I want to talk to you tonight about how to start a new season. Who's the wisest man, according to the Bible, that ever lived? Solomon. Good. Solomon. I want to show you tonight, I want us to look at how did Solomon start a new season. And I think Solomon sets an example for the rest of us about how to move into something new, how to start, how to walk into a new season. Amen? Amen. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and this is kind of a famous a famous chapter in the sense this is the chapter that we, uh, that we read where Solomon, God asked Solomon 
what he would like for him to do for him. God says, Solomon, I'll do something for you. What do you want? And Solomon can ask for victory over his enemies. Solomon can ask for great riches and wealth. Solomon asks for wisdom. And this is what primarily this chapter is known for, is the chapter where Solomon asks for wisdom. And God says, because you ask so wisely, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'll give you all this other stuff too. And so it was very wise for Solomon to ask for wisdom. And it seems that even before God, before Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him that kind of wisdom, Solomon was already pretty wise. He was wise enough to know what to ask for, wasn't he? I wish I could just be that smart sometimes. Well, in 2 Chronicles 1, we're going to start reading in, in verse 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom... For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. And then Solomon does something that's very interesting to me. It says in verse 2, Solomon spoke to all of Israel, to the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, to the judges, and to all the leaders in, all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly, the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, and I'm going to stop right there just so that we can imagine this group of people that Solomon gathered to himself to go to this little town called Gibeon. It's about 20 miles, kind of the northwest of Jerusalem, where they all started. Got Bethlehem is kind of on the south side. Gibeon is kind of up on the north side. Just a short journey from Jerusalem. What well, says Solomon, he got all of Israel. And I don't know how big Israel was at this time. How many millions apparently came out of Israel? out of Egypt, you know, hundreds of years before this time. So I'm sure there's still, there's a lot, this is a lot of people. <laughs> you know, Israel is a big, big country. You know, lots of land, lots of people. It says Solomon gathered up all the leadership, all the family leaders, all the judges. Every, it's like everyone who had any kind of influence at all over in the country of Israel. Solomon was so committed to what he was about to do how he was going to start this new season in his life. He said, I want every single person that has any kind of influence in this country, you're going to come with me. And he gathered up all these people. He must have taken thousands of people with him. But he didn't want a single person that was there to miss out on the significance of how he was going to start his new kingdom. His kingly reign is just beginning. And the one thing that he does to launch off, to start off his kingdom reign, his kingly reign is this what we're about to read? And if, before he does that one thing, he gathers up every single person, every one of his friends, everybody that has any position of leadership over the whole country. He wants every one of them to be a, be a part of this event. He wants every one of them to be a part of starting off this kingdom in this particular way. And I'm believing tonight for every single one of us is we want to start. And we say, hey, Pastor Larry, I want to start a new season. I want something new in this area, in a particular area of my life. I want a new attitude. I want this to be made new in my life. I'm telling you tonight the truth when I say I believe what Solomon did is the way every single one of us ought to start a new season. Amen? And look at what he does. He takes all, he gathers up all these people. He says, this is the most serious thing you're ever going to see. We're all going to go to a place together. Every one of you, you cannot miss it. I don't care what happens. You're coming with me. And he gathers up all these people, thousands of them. And he takes them to Gibeon. In, verse, in the middle of verse 3, they went to the high place at Gibeon 
For God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. And I was reading through the Bible earlier this year, and I came to this passage, and I was just floored by this. Do you know how many years took place between Moses and Solomon? How many years was it when Moses and the children of Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus before all the judges went in place? You know, Joshua was there, then all the judges, and then Saul was there, and then David. And finally you come to David's son Samuel, uh, Solomon. Do you know how many years passed between when Moses made the tent of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the wilderness, and all of a sudden Solomon takes all these thousands of people to Gibeon to go to that same place because the tent is there? 400 years have passed. 400 years have passed. And I'm thinking, how was that thing still there? How did that thing survive? You know, did they, when one of the curtains wore out, did they make a new one for the side? You know, I have no idea. It doesn't say. And as far as I know, after this event, the temple, the tabernacle of Moses is not mentioned again. Its location, its whereabouts, what happened to it. I mean, after this, did they put it, they box it all up? I mean, I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it was in a box stored away at this time, man. This thing is out. It's in operation. It is set up. It's there. It's this tent of meeting. Now, let's talk just for a moment. If you don't realize what this was, if you go back and look at the story of the Old Testament, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he, he promises to give him sons and, and heirs as numerous as the sands of the sea. Abraham has children. One of his children is Jacob. And Jacob has 12 kids. One of them is Joseph and his, his, his brothers. They sell Joseph into slavery down in Egypt because they don't like him. Eventually, there's a big famine in all the land, and all of them and their, their families have to go down to Egypt, where Joseph, because he's been interpreting dreams for the Pharaoh, he takes care of all of them. And the people and pretty much everybody from Israel goes down to Egypt because the famine is so severe, and they begin to prosper and grow there in Egypt. And, and because they're, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are afraid of them because they've become so numerous, they put them all into slavery. And so the, the Israelites and the, the million of Israelites, or however many there are, are all slaves down in Egypt. Well, at some point, they begin crying out to God for freedom, and God, Moses comes on the scene as their deliverer. And most of you have seen the TV show, The Ten Commandments, I hope. It's awesome, you know. That's the story I'm talking about. Moses comes before the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Well, then finally, after all the plagues hit, the Pharaoh lets the children of Israel go. And they all gather up. They take a bunch of treasure. They take all this stuff out of Egypt, and they march out into the wilderness. And then the army comes after them. But God's presence is there with them. The, the Pharaoh's army drowns in the Red Sea, and a tabernacle is built, a tent of meeting. Very specific instructions were given to Moses about how to build this thing. And it was all on these poles and very ornate and gold. And, you know, the, God told Moses, Who, whoever's heart promotes them to give, then you accept these offerings from these people and you create this place. And I'm going to dwell in this place. And a cloud, a real cloud that they could actually see with their eyes covered it in the daytime. And a real pillar of fire was there at nighttime. And the Bible says that, that they encamped around this thing that was known for the presence of God, that Judah was on the north and the other tribe on the south and three on the east and three on the west. And, and they, they, this thing was right at the very center, this, this tabernacle, this tent that Moses had made, this tent of meeting, 
the place of God's presence was right in the middle of it. And they camped around the tent. Just like in heaven, we'll be, the presence of God will be what we'll all be living around. It'll be the center of everything in heaven. The presence of God. And we'll be camping around the presence of God then too. Well, not only did the, the tent of meeting stand for the presence of God and represent the presence of God, because that's where God went to meet with Moses. Moses went there to meet with God. But it also led them. If they saw one day that the cloud was moving, they realized we've got to pack up and get out of here because we're going to follow the cloud. Or if at nighttime the pillar of fire was moving off. And then when it, when it stopped, they would all stop. And they'd pitch their tents and maybe they stayed there for a year. And then all of a sudden it would start moving again. And man, they'd, they knew how to pack it all up and they would pack up and take off again because they were going to follow the cloud. This is that tent. This is that same tent that Moses made in the wilderness that represented the presence of God that they encamped around and that led them and provided cloud during the day and fire at night. This is, that, this is that thing that Solomon takes all the leaders to there in Gibeon. Isn't that amazing? I'm just astounded that this thing is still there. Amazing to me. I had no idea. Until this last year, I'm reading through that. I don't know where I misplaced that information, but it's like I'd never even seen that before. Now David had, this is verse 4. David had brought up the ark of God from kiriath Jerium to the place he had prepared for it. That's in Jerusalem because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and this great assembly inquired of God there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. So you know there were some people along with them. They had somebody had to manage these thousand sheep or cattle or whatever it was that they took to burn on it. So we, imagine there's a large group of people here. That night God appears to Solomon and says to him, Ask whatever you want for me to give you. And Solomon says, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made a king in his place, made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, nor honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will ever have. And then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. So Solomon takes all of these people to Gibeon. He says, before I start this new season of life, this new season for our country, we're going to go to this place that represents the presence of God, that represents the center of all that we are, and camping around, and it represents how God leads His people, by His presence, by His presence. How do we start anew? How do we start a new season? Let me suggest to you tonight, it's by encamping around the presence of God. 
is by going to the place where, the, where we encounter and find the presence of God. How do we start? What's the best way? And I think I can say that if I can follow Solomon's example, the guy who's the wisest man on earth, what's the best way to start a new season in life? Now, there are many ways, and God will bless all sorts of things, but I'm telling you tonight, if you'd ask Solomon what the best way was, <laughs> he'd say, hey, let's go to the place that represents God's presence. Let's go to the place that reminds us to camp and camp around that presence. Let's go to the place that reminds us that we're not going to move unless the presence of God moves. Amen? He said, Let, let's start off, let's start this new kingdom. Let's start this new kingdom like that by visiting this place. And so they did. I want to offer an invitation tonight in just a few minutes to be touched by the presence of God in such a way that releases something that's new in us. Amen? Like I said, I believe all of us are here tonight. And maybe it is something that we might say, oh, it really is healing. Tonight I want us to think in terms of God just wants to make something new in your body. Amen? Maybe, like I said, maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you've been struggling with fear and doubt, and God wants to give you new faith. The Bible says, in Christ, all things are made new. Let's just say that together. God makes all things new. God makes all things new. God, God makes all things new. I think you might have it. God makes all things new. Why is it? Because that's the way He is. It's just the way He is. You don't have to ask for some kind of special favor. That is the kingdom. That is the kingdom. And you know, God's desire is that His kingdom be manifest in your life and in my life. But you know, sometimes I see people and it almost seems to me like they're just hoping to, to, to just find a way through life and just by some stroke of luck, the kingdom of God will come on them and the blessing of God will come in their life. Well, that's not quite what Jesus said, was it? Remember when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. It makes it sound like there's something that we have the ability and the authority to do that releases the kingdom of God into our life. As opposed to just kind of walking along hoping someday it hits. <laughs> you know? I see people that do that. It's like, man, if God really wants me to have that, then someday I'll have it. You know, sometimes I think, sometimes we take up a posture waiting on God. I'm convinced that oftentimes God's waiting on us. You know, I heard Bill Johnson say one time, the person with the renewed mind lives with the understanding that sometimes God wants to do something through you instead of something for you. Amen? Oftentimes we see a problem and we see an issue and we say, God, there's the problem over there. God, would you help me with that right there? God, there's the person right there that needs your touch. Go get him, God. But you know what I believe God is saying? He's right there behind us, and he's saying, let my power flow through you into that situation. I've given you authority. I've given you my word. Now, come on, son. Grow up into the authority I've given you. Grow up in the man I've called you to be. Grow up into the mighty warrior that I'm, I've given you authority to, and given you the power to become. And we're saying, God, God, just, God, do something. I wonder about how we pray sometimes. We're always just saying, now the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And there are times that we're called just to humble ourselves and seek his face and ask him. Amen? And there are times I don't mind if my kids would come to me and ask me for something. It brought delight that they trusted me to help them or guide them. 
But there are also times that I wanted them to handle it. They had the authority to handle it. I didn't want them pestering me with some simple little request that I knew full well they could take care of. I wonder if God doesn't like that a little bit. I know he's never frustrated with us. At least not the same way I experienced frustration. He's too kind and loving and understanding for that. Well, before I do extend an invitation to receive ministry tonight, I want you to see how this ends. See what happened with Solomon. As he, he, he goes back home and he begins building the temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, it talks about how the temple was built. Man, very specific, very detailed uh, boy, just all kinds of preparations. David, his father, who was a fighting man of war, was not given the release from God to actually build the temple. But what he did, he gathered all these materials from all over the world in that, that region of the world. All these things were gathered up so that Solomon would have all the resources to build the most magnificent, beautiful place for the presence of God to dwell. And if you read verse chapter 2, and the next couple of chapters are just very detailed about oh, all the things they did, how they built this thing. Chapters 2 through 5 are all about the building process of this wonderful building that they put together and how they gathered it up. Chapter 6 is really about a prayer of dedication, but I really want you to see what happened in chapter 7. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the thing is finished. This temple is built. This is the first thing the Bible talks about Solomon doing in his kingdom. So he goes to Gibeon. He takes all the guys to the place of the presence of God. Then he comes back home and he starts building this place so that where he is, the presence of God will have a home. So he doesn't have to go somewhere else to get in this place of presence. But he makes a place where he is so that God's presence can dwell. And there's a lesson to be learned for us there as well. He makes a play. That's the first thing he does after he goes to Gibeon. He comes back home. In the next several chapters, the main thing he does, the main focus of his life, is building this place for God, building this temple for God, building this home for God. And they finish. In 2 Chronicles 7, 1, check out what happens. Solomon had prayed this prayer of dedication in chapter 6. In verse 1, when Solomon finished praying. Fire came down from heaven. Can you imagine mm, what it would have been like to be there that day? Fire comes down from heaven and consumes these burnt offerings and sacrifices. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And it says, the priests, verse 2, could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it so much. Solomon dedicates this thing. Fire comes down. And he lights on the burnt sacrifices in the glory of God. Now this, is, this isn't just somebody's wish list. This is a depiction. This actually happened. Can you imagine? They hadn't seen this kind of outpouring. Listen to me. They hadn't seen this kind of outpouring since Moses' days. Because it's sad to say, but if you read through the Old Testament, it starts off, man, there was a fire and there was a cloud and it was with them the whole time. But as you continue to read through, you see that the children of Israel begin to sin and they begin to worship other gods and all these kind of things. And pretty soon you don't see the cloud anymore. You don't see the 
the fire anymore. And pretty much all the, all the Old Testament, all these prophets are just calling back to the people to say, please come worship God again because the punishment of God is coming. You're going to be carried off. Assyria is going to come and they're going to, they're going to wipe out Jerusalem. It's like, you know, the Old Testament is just kind of this pattern. But here in the middle of Solomon, it's kind of before all that time when they end up wandering away. And this cloud comes and this fire comes. In verse 12, God speaks to Solomon. As I scroll down on my digital Bible here. The Lord appears to Solomon at night. That night, Solomon had carried out all he had in mind to do with the temple. And the Lord appears to him and says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. I want to stretch your thinking just for a moment and ask you a question. Where else in the Bible do we see something just like this happen? Where else in the Bible do we see the prophetic fulfillment of what happened right here in Solomon's temple? It's in the book of Acts at Pentecost. At Pentecost, didn't fire come down and light on the sacrifices? And didn't the glory of God fill the temple? It's exactly what happens here. It's exactly, this is an exact picture of what's in God's heart after Jesus came. This is what was in God's heart for us to experience. You see, at Moses' day, God dwelt in a tabernacle and a tent. In Solomon's day, there was a building, a temple that God's presence dwelt in. But after Jesus came, you know what the temple was? After Jesus came, you know what the temple is? And what the temple is today? It's you and me. It's you and me. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.22, it says, For you have been built into a dwelling which God lives by His Spirit. We've become the temple of God. That was always God's desire. And I think that's why God spoke to Moses. Even in the Old Testament, we see a picture of this, a shadow of this, where God says, you receive gifts of materials for people to build the tabernacle, but only from people whose heart leads them to give. Because it was always a heart offering that God was looking for. Because it was always the heart that was going to be the temple. And all we see in the Old Testament is just something that we can know in our minds to point us to what was really in the heart of the Father for today, for the now. That's how this ends up. Isn't that something? That Solomon starts off this new season by going to the place of presence. He comes back home and he builds a place for the presence of God. And then God does something that's supernaturally miraculous. And fire comes down. He says, I've chosen this for a place of sacrifices. And then Solomon goes on to become the most successful king that the world had ever seen. Where other kings even. You all have heard Pastor, I believe Pastor Bruce talked about this several times. Where other kings would come to Solomon looking for wisdom because he has so much. You know, Romans 12, 1 says, present yourselves as living sacrifices, doesn't it? Present yourself as living sacrifices. I say it turned out pretty good when Solomon started his new season off in the presence of God. We have such a great testimony from the word about that. So tonight I want to give you this invitation and also have some prophetic words to, 
to share. But if you're here tonight and you want to start anew in some area, maybe if you're here tonight, you just want to start anew all over again. (laughs) That's okay with God. His provision for you to become new is bigger than you. His ability is bigger than your greatest need. His provision is bigger than your greatest lack. So much more so, the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, He's able to do immeasurably more than all we would ask or think according to His power that's at work within us. So much more we can't even imagine it, it says. Immeasurably more. So much more you can't measure it. More than you could ask, think, imagine, or dream according to His power. Amen. So, Bree, I might ask you, I, don't, I can't see Bree, but I'm, there she is right there. You might just put on some, some kind of little song.